This is Jeremy Bassetti, and you're listening to Travel Writing World, a podcast featuring interviews with travel writers about their work and about the business and craft of travel writing. You can find the episode show notes, free travel writing resources, and much more at travelwritingworld.com. Hello, everyone. This is episode 72 of the Travel Writing World podcast. Joining me today is Jordan Salama. We're talking about his debut book, Every Day the River Changes, Four Weeks Down the Magdalena, which was published November 16, 2021. We talk about the Magdalena River, of course, but we also talk about the people who live along it and storytelling. We also talk about the future of travel writing, decentering the self, and about the critical importance of community in any writing project. When it comes to these topics, I think you'll find Jordan to be wise for his age. Anyway, before we start the episode today, just a nudge to tell your friends about the show, leave a five-star review on the Apple Podcast app or whichever podcasting app you use, or support the show with only a few dollars, pounds, or euro a month, less than a cup of coffee, at travelwritingworld.com forward slash support. Also, to stay up to date with travel, nature, and place writing news, consider signing up for Genius Loci, my free monthly email roundup of news and links at jeremybassetti.com. A new email will go out on the first of the month. So now, here is Jordan Salama. Jordan, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. So I invited you on uh, to talk about your new book, Every Day the River Changes, Four Weeks Down the Magdalena, which uh, is slated to go on sale November 16, 2021. I'm excited to talk to you because I haven't spoken with many American uh, travel writers lately on the podcast and and because you're a young travel writer, so that's always uh, exciting. Uh, so just, I guess, to start things off, why don't you uh, tell us a little bit about your new book? Sure. Yeah. So my book, Every Day the River Changes, is the story of my journey down the Rio Magdalena, the most important river in Colombia. I spent about a month uh, traveling the entire thousand mile length of the river and living with the people who live along its banks, hearing their stories and um, and writing this book, which really tries to document everyday life in a country that's very much recovering from a long, long conflict. Um I am fascinated by the fact that Colombia is super diverse in every sense of the word. It's the second most biodiverse country in the world. It's home to, you know, thousands, millions of species and amazing landscapes and buzzing ecosystems. And also it's extraordinarily diverse in people. There are Afro-Colombians, indigenous Colombians, Arab Colombians, Jewish Colombians, all sorts of, um, you know, people and communities that the Magdalena cuts a cross section through. And so what better way to understand a country than to understand its uh, its river? And that's what this project tried mm-hmm. to do. Yeah, I'm glad that you you mentioned the the diversity of people because that's, you know, a very, I think, an important part of your book. And, uh, you know, in the title, it says every day the river changes. Ostensibly, it's about the river, but it's about so much more. Your book is about the people who live along the river uh, more so than the river itself. I, you know, I think that the river helps give a formal structure to the book, right? You begin in the upper Magdalena and at the source kind of near the mountains. And then uh, it, you end at the lower Magdalena in the Caribbean. 
Um, so it gives that kind of structure to the book. Um, but I guess just to backpedal a second, like what what interested you about um, the river and and the people of 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 Colombia? It was actually rooted in an initial trip that I took to the country about three years, uh, two years before, two years before um, the the trip down to Magdalena. I was finishing up my freshman year in college. I did not know what I wanted to do. I knew I wanted to write in some way and tell stories, but I didn't know what form it would take. Um, and I knew that I was interested in nature and in the environment. So, uh, you know, through my school and college, I was able to get some funding to go down and do some um, work as kind of like an informal internship with a wildlife organization um, in their office in Colombia. That gave me the opportunity to travel all around the country and working in um, rural communities and, and learning about their relationship with nature and their field projects. Um, and, you know, I went to the Pacific coast where there's volcanic black sand beaches. I went to the Northern wetlands where there's communities working on turtle conservation projects. I even went to the edge of the Darien gap on the border of Colombia and Panama where, you know, then, and now there's this huge migration crisis, um, thousands of Haitians, Caribbean Islanders, and Africans, and people from India and South Asia um, fly to Latin America and then embark on a kind of treacherous walk towards the Mexican border with the U.S. And that's this like uninhabited stretch of jungle. It's the most dangerous part of the journey. So I saw that. Um, basically, I was, you know, I got a firsthand look at many different facets of this very complex country. And I was there again at a very um, Kind of consequential time. It was right before the peace agreement was signed. There were talks of peace and people weren't quite sure what was going to happen with the conflict. So um, there was there was a lot going on and I was really interested by it. Um, I met a lot of people. I stayed with families again, like kind of all along the way and spoke with, with them about their lives. And I knew that I wanted to come back. So Columbia was in my, my mind um, when I had to come up with an idea for my senior thesis in college. I knew I wanted to do something about a river because I thought I was interested in a journey that connected disparate people and places and rivers do that. Um, but when I, you know, when it came time to coming up with an idea, I wasn't quite sure what to do. And then I went back to my journals um, from my first trip in Colombia and I realized, oh, I remembered everybody was talking about this river, the Magdalena. Mm -hmm. um, so I thought maybe that was the place to, to go. Right. And but I guess, well, I guess, sorry, to answer your question a little bit more directly, the Magdalena itself is really interesting to me because of a few reasons. I mean, uh, in school, I'd read a lot of Garcia Marquez. That's the river of Garcia Marquez's life. Um, it appears in Love in the Time of Cholera. It's alluded to in 100 Years of Solitude. You know, people along the river told me that Garcia Marquez's fiction was quote unquote the you know the stories the real stories of their lives, um, so it's very much rooted in, in communities like those that I found along the Magdalena, and also the fact that my family comes from Latin America, a different part of Latin America that is home to a similarly diverse array of people as we were just talking about, right? Um, so I wanted to have an experience in a country that was like Argentina, where my family comes from, um, and that was one of the highlights of the Magdalena, which was to be able to meet and, and spend time with so many different kinds of, of people from different backgrounds. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This diversity um, question is, is, is interesting in, in your case in particular, because of your, of your background coming from Argentina or having some, some kind of roots in, in, Ar in Argentina, but your, your family come from the middle East, essentially from this kind of unlikely sort of combinations being, 
an Arab Jew, right? Is that is that essentially the case? Uh, yes, a hundred percent of my of my family are Arabic speaking mm-hmm. Jews from Syria and Iraq, Baghdad, Aleppo, and Damascus, and they made their way to the U.S. by way of of Argentina. Um, my grandfather was born in Buenos Aires. My grandmother was also born in Buenos Aires, and we have so much family there now. Um, it's a country I feel such a, a kinship to, um, and I, I credit it with being the reason why I'm interested in Latin America in the first place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I think, um, you know, having this kind of background, you know, this d- diverse background helps, you know, a journalist or someone who's interested in talking to other people, it helps them become, I think, more comfortable talking to a different different types of people, right? Um, coming, being like restricted to a, a particular class or a p- particular group often um, makes it difficult for someone to relate or kind of feel comfortable talking to, to different people. So, I mean, that element is, is also important. But, you know, you, you're, you're speaking of family here. And, um, you know, I think I, I recall somewhere in the book, you mentioning that you, when you're traveling in, in Colombia or along the river, that you make it a point to seek out and speak with the elderly I was wondering, um, you know, your thoughts on this. Um, why, why do you make it a point to go seek out and speak with the elderly? I make it a point to go out and speak with elderly people. Actually, I try really hard to speak with the oldest and the youngest segments of, of every uh, community that I, that I go to. Because I think that, well, uh, on the side of the, the elderly people, um, they're just filled with stories. They have lived the longest and, and they can tell you the kind of history of a place and what it's like now. And with the youngest people, I think you get the purest and most uh, kind of unfiltered and honest assessment of life. And so I think that having those two, don't want to use the word jaded, but a very informed and uh, long-lived perspective, and then the kind of newer um, unfiltered perspective, I think that that gives a really good spectrum of being able to kind of assess what things are, are like on the ground in a place. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's interesting because when I was uh, kind of I don't know, examining your book, um, I, I got I have a galley here, an ark, and uh, on the back it mentions something um, about this being a travelogue. Uh, and but when I but when I read it, I'll, I'll ask you what your your thoughts are on the subject. But when when I when I read it, it didn't seem to be a very strict travelogue. You know, it was. When I when I think of travelogues, uh, travel literature, and travelogues in particular, I think about kind of like this step by step account of what somebody did. And you know, there's an element of that in your book with with the formal component, right, going down the river. But you know, it's I think much more than just that because you're speaking with people and you're talking with people. You're trying to uh, understand their stories. And it's it's more about the stories of other people and the story of the river and the people who live on the river than it is you know, your story traveling in this place. So uh, what, what is your, what, what are your thoughts on, on this travelogue question um, and your book? Like, what do you think, how do you, how do you look at it? I think that this is where travel writing is going, right? I, I think that it, it is a travelogue in the sense that, yeah, it's the, the story of my journey through a place and, and down a river and very much does chronicle kind of where I went and, and who I met. But I also think that it, it tries to be much more than that. I think that it tries to use the, vehicle of a journey to tell a much more complex story about a place that has not gotten a very, unfortunately, not gotten a very complex and nuanced reputation in the United States. Um, I think that journeys have an amazing power to, to bring 
cultures and people together who otherwise wouldn't be mm-hmm. maybe in the same book or in the same conversation. Um, and I think that, yeah, I think there's a lot of power to it. And um, that's why I'm interested in travel, traveling, travelogues, travel literature. Mm-hmm. But I do think that it's changing. I think that now, especially in our changed social reality, we need more travel writers. And by travel writers, I mean people who do, you know, YouTube videos, people who do stuff on social media, people who write books like me. Um, I think that we need more people who will use those travels to make a more important point mm-hmm. and try to do some good in, in the world. Right. Because traveling for pleasure in any case is now is a privilege. So you got to use that, I think, to to make a difference in some way. And I hope that this book makes a difference uh, by, by sharing stories of people who honestly don't really have much of a voice in English on the world stage. Right. It's kind of uh, <laughs> maybe sacrilege for someone like me to say who has a podcast called Travel Writing World, but I often find that the uh, travel books that have less to do with travel are, are the ones more interesting uh, because we're hearing the stories of, of, of the places and the people instead of the stories of the individual which can be interesting. I guess it's 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 a balance. But you'd mentioned that um, you know this is where travel writing uh, might be going or is going. And I didn't prep you for this question, but I'm just you know curious to to get your thoughts on why why do you think travel writing might be going in the direction of telling the stories of of people instead of the stories of the self. Well, see, I, I'm new at this. I think so. I, I don't know where it is going, but this is where I hope it's going. Mm-hmm. And I think that I'd like to hope that it's going in that direction because of this idea that, you know, centering ourselves, the writer being the sole focus of a journey through a place that's not their own is, uh, you know, if, if it's not a story about themselves, if, if, the, if they are not the focus of the entire book, um, meaning it's not a memoir that tries to unpack some family, you know, history or something deeply personal, right? Um, I, I don't really see a need for the writer or the traveler to be the focal point of the journey. I think that the traveler is the person who, who is, are the eyes of the reader and the ears of the reader to introduce them to a new place and the people who live there. Um, I really do think that the travel writer is should be only the messenger, especially when the place is not a place where the travel writer comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we think about some of these um, kind of classic uh, travelogues from you know the post-war period in in, in England. Um, they're very self-centered, and I don't mean that in, in the negative context, but in terms of the narrative, you know, it's it's about the self, and it's not to say that those books are, are bad, um, but I think you're right to to pinpoint and you know to double click on this idea that something else is is afoot, right? With, with uh, travel narratives, and you know, frankly, it's sometimes just more interesting to to, to read about a diverse group of people than just the, the same person over and over and over. And there is right, a, like what? Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you, but like, why go to a place that's so interesting <laughs> right. and different if all you're going to do is talk about yourself? <laughs> right. Yeah, that's the that's the the funny part yeah. about that. But you know, more critically, in in kind of the kind of travel writing and even nature writing, um, auto fiction, auto nonfiction, right? Writing about the self and in, in the debates about writing, there is kind of this controversy or 
uh, critical debate really about, as you mentioned, decentering the self and whether or not writers um, have um, kind of any kind of ethical basis to to write about other people, right? Uh, you know, we, there's this debate about you know, quote unquote, giving uh, giving a voice to the voiceless, right? Or or something to that effect, and 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 people push back on that uh, that idea because it's it's a it sounds like a very kind of colonial or imperialist thing to say, right? Like we're gonna, you know, this is what Ed, Edward Said kind of talked about. I'm I'm kind of like digging into the filing cabinets of my grad school training, and you know, one of Edward Said's criticism about travel writing is that um, you know these writers, usually Western posh kind of imperialist writers, would um, speak on behalf of other people, right? And, and, and uh, yeah. So speaking on behalf of other people is very different from letting them speak for themselves. And I think that that's where I, I mean, I'm still figuring this out myself, but, but, you know, there's, there is a difference between those two things. I think that, um, that there's tremendous value. I think that there will always be tremendous value in people from other cultures writing about cultures that are not their own, right? Because that's where empathy and cross-cultural understanding develops. But I think that has to be done in a sensitive and kind of inclusive way where, you know, you're centering local voices and you're letting people tell their own stories. Mm-hmm. I, I don't think that it's problematic if, you know, if the giving the voice, the voiceless, quote unquote, as you put it, just means that you're, that by by writing a book in a certain language, um, you know, you're giving local voices in certain places more of an audience. I think that that is very, very productive. Mm-hmm. So practically speaking, then how how does how does a writer how does one you know let uh, a person tell their own story? Right? If it's you know practically, if it's all being filtered through kind of the author's subject, like how, how do, what is your approach, or what do you think about that? Yeah, deep listening on the road. Mm-hmm. I think that and and spending quality long amounts of time with people, not like two hours, like two days, you know, obviously travel writing moves fast. And so this is not the situation in which you're going to be able to spend two months with every person who you're talking with. Maybe only you have two months total, but you need to be able to, to, you know, kind of make sure that you're spending the quality time and the quality listening time possible to, to, to ensure that you, you have the story, right. And that they've had time to fully express kind of the full scope of, of, of what's going on, you know, staying with, with people, uh, as opposed to staying in hotels, like that is another way that brings a lot of, of nuance to these conversations because you become a part of their lives and they become a part of yours. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I guess those are a few, yeah. a few ways that I, that I go about it. Yeah. I like this, uh, deep listening, you know, this kind of very deep and, open and honest engagement with uh, another person. You know, the stereotype of a travel writer is that they often parachute into a destination, <laughs> you know, slap, slap some words down on, on, on a file and kind of take off. And, you know, this deep engagement, the deep, deep listening is, is having deep conversations. I mean, th- this is all important, not just in journalism, but, you know, just to be a human, I think. I guess double clicking on this idea of deep engagement and, 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 and deep listening, um, I think we often have this idea in our minds that, you know, a, a writer or an author, right? Um, we have this, we, we mythologize the idea of an of an artist or an author as like this authentic lone, lone genius, right? Someone who's 
um, tormented and slaving away in, in front of a computer and nobody understands him or her, right? Um, and, but we, we all know that this is not the case and there's often, you know, on the topic of community and, and listening, um, there's always someone uh, or a supportive community behind the individual author. And I'm kind of assuming uh, that this was the case in, in your experience and being cultivated in, in university. Um, I read that you uh, took uh, Pico Iyer's, uh, I guess, seminar on, on journal, journalism at university. So I was wondering like what your, your experience was with uh, writing communities when you were studying and also writing this book. Like what was it like engaging with other kind of writers? Sure. Well, there's the community engagement of the people you're interviewing when you're a right. journalist or a nonfiction writer. There's always that. So you're, you know, never alone. Like it's definitely not a solitary act. The writing sure is, but, um, but yeah, um, it can never be like that. Um, and I don't know what fiction or poetry writing is like, cause that terrifies me because you have to make <laughs> everything up. But um, no, I mean, in the way of, you know, this was such a, a, a team effort in, in the sense that this, this book, started out as a, a thesis project, as a research project, and was shaped by professors, um, academic professors and writing professors alike. It took many, many different forms as it started. And, and when I was coming away with it as a, um, a senior in college, when I was finishing up the kind of first manuscript, it was something that I was thinking would be a kind of collection of stories to maybe I'll pitch one or two of them to newspapers and magazines and try to get a start as a freelancer after graduating. I didn't really know that it was going to be a book, but, you know, where I went to school, there was such a, a special community of, of writers who were professors. So like working writers who were professors who provided, you know, priceless advice. Um, and one of them was Pico. Um, I took his class. It was called writing and reporting on place. Um, and we wrote these 800 word mini essays all semester. And he really encouraged us to inject our own voice and to make um, what we were working on cohesive. And in that way, he was also kind of um, guiding me on, on my thesis work, though kind of indirectly. Um, he really encouraged me to make it a cohesive kind of book type work. And that was just as I was finishing it up. So what happened was by the end of, of the year, I had this kind of half collection of stories, half beginnings of what was like a, a more voice-filled, cohesive book. And when I was presenting the project to a panel of journalism professors um, at the end of the year for my thesis defense, one of them, a, a New York Times columnist by the name of Jim Dwyer, who I actually hadn't met before, he came up to me um, at the lunch and introduced himself afterwards and was like, hey, you know, I think this could be a book. And I know an agent who would really like probably to represent it. And he introduced me to, to my now book agent. Um, and then kind of one thing led to another and it, it became a book. But yeah, I guess, no. I mean, if I was operating in my own vacuum, this would definitely not be anything that anybody else was reading. It would just be sitting on my shelf as, as a thesis that I probably never would go back to. But it meant a lot to me. And also the fact that it, I guess, spoke to other people who were in a position to help is something that I'll always be grateful for. Mm-hmm. I'm 24. Like people took a chance on me, a big chance on me. And I hope that it, that it pays off. It's one of the things that I'm kind of most uh, nervous about with, with this book coming out. So um, that's why I hope people will pick it up and understand that it really is an honest story of a young 
person's journey down a river in a specific place. It doesn't try to be much more than that. Mm-hmm. What was your experience like uh, repackaging, rewriting, getting this thesis into kind of like a book-shaped thing? Because those two are I, I, different. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Definitely different things. I owe it all to to my editor, Catapult, Mega Majumdar. She guided me in, in a tremendous way. Um, she encouraged me to, to, she made every aspect of it, first of all, more sensitive, more empathetic than I ever could. Um, and she definitely encouraged me to put more of my own voice into it to make it, um, again, more cohesive. So basically the process was like the initial manuscript that I submitted was kind of lightly edited. And then um, I did a full overhaul of it. And then we went various rounds of edits, um, getting it to where it is today. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, it's interesting. Um, and it's, 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 it's a great book. I mean, it's in some ways an, an unexpected book um, and for many reasons, no less that be, because you're, you're tracking down hi, hippo <laughs> and other uh, interesting things and um, along the river. I want to thank you for your time, uh, Jordan. And, but before I let you go, I just wanted to, to ask you, I know before we started recording, we were talking about, you know, we have minds that kind of bounce around quite a bit. And I know your book is, we're recording this in early November and your book is about to, to, to be released uh, soon, but what else is occupying your mind? What do you have on the horizon? Lots of stories, uh, hopefully in the month of November and, and December, um, lots of stories in different publications that are kind of thematically related to the book. Um, and then a new longer project that hopefully news about will, uh, will come soon (laughs) but right now i have to uphold my end of the bargain which is writing and brainstorming and figuring out what that's actually going to look like i think you uh teased us somewhere on social media uh, about a new project brewing with an image and some chicken scratch and (laughs) some things so looking forward to what you come up with uh jordan thank you so much for coming on the podcast thank you so much again for having me this was a lot of fun You can find the episode show notes and much more at TravelWritingWorld.com. Please remember to subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast app. And if you find the show valuable, please consider leaving a review or supporting the show with only a few dollars a month at TravelWritingWorld.com support. 